Hi there, and welcome to Edit Your Darlings, a podcast that tries to take the sting out of editing by talking with darling authors about their experiences. I'm Ariel Anderson, and today I'm joined by Samantha Haney. Samantha is a freelance writer and editor who's authored four books, including three gorgeous volumes of devotionals for girls in a series called Bloom, and Change the Conversation, a book on teens and dating while keeping the faith. She's also edited and written more than a hundred 100 articles and posts for clients in mental health, Christian living, and lifestyle industries. Some of her work has appeared on the YouVersion Bible app, Devotional Diva, To Love, Honor, and Vacuum, and Families Alive. Samantha and her husband live in and work on their fixer-upper home in Oklahoma with their dog, Podrick. Thank you so much for making time to talk with me, Samantha. I am so happy to be here. I can't wait for a conversation. Fun fact, the first roller coaster I ever rode was the Silver Bullet at Frontier City in Oklahoma. It was my seventh birthday, and my dad bought me platform shoes so that I'd be tall enough, but I I don't recommend that. I I love that. I Many people that I talk to have their own sketch stories about Frontier City, myself included. The summer that I turned six, I actually had a broken arm all during swimming season. It was tragic. Oh, no. Yes. Uh, so we were, went to the park as a family. We were riding some ride down a rafting river. I don't even remember what it was called, and we had to use a plastic bag to keep my cast dry and the stranger sitting next to me helped me hold it up so the cast would stay dry. I don't recommend that either. But there are good strangers in the world. That is true. That's the takeaway. (laughs) So let's get into the questions. I wanted to know which came first in your career, the writing or the editing? And how does being a writer and an editor kind of balance out for you? How do you manage wearing both of those hats? The writing and editing kind of developed together because I went to school for journalism, uh, but I fell in love with AP style, uh, like any good. Oh, no. Yes, grammar nerd. Uh, so I became then one of the copy editors for the newspaper there on campus, and but I was still writing articles also for the paper. So they've really developed alongside each other. After graduation, I got an internship as a copy editor for a publishing house, so I had to quickly Ooh. gain some CMOS skills, even though there's definite overlap with AP style. There's notable differences, which I had to train myself to notice. Quick aside, she mentioned the word sea moss, and you might be thinking that that's something that grows under the ocean, but it is in fact Chicago Manual of Style, also known as CMS, also known as CMOS or sea moss. Okay. Currently, I would say I'm probably about 80-20 of 80% editing and then 20% writing right now because I'm not currently working on a book of my own. So I like doing both. Uh, I like, uh, as I'm editing other people's work, I can start to notice I want to incorporate that the next time I work on something or I definitely want to avoid that. And then when I do go to editing, I I can't remove that editor the editor mindset. And so I think that helps keep me super streamlined and focused when I go to write my own work. It doesn't slow you down? 
No. I mean, sometimes I do have to kind of say to myself, okay, for a set amount of time, I'm I'm not going to go back and kind of revise myself or anything. But I think that's the main thing that I like is that it just helps keep me focused as I'm working, whether it's on an article or a longer project. So you've worked with beta readers and freelance copy editors, proofreaders for your own books. And I'm assuming the articles you've contributed to publications have gone through some editing as well, right? Yes. So how did you choose the people that you shared your work with and what sort of feedback has been particularly helpful for you in improving your writing? How did you know that it was good feedback? So I think the best example is looking at the devotional series, the types of editors and beta readers that I worked with uh, on that project. With the devotional series that I wrote, it's geared towards girls ages 9 to 14. Uh, Mm, Tough age. Yes. uh, (laughs) So that's the target demographic, but that is not who is buying the book. It's going to be their parents. It's going to be grandparents, teachers, aunts. And so I knew off the bat I was going to have to have a wide range of it's going to have to be kids. It's going to have to be adults. Um, I was also able to reach out and get some feedback from people at a local seminary. And so having uh, the content looked at through that lens as well. So I think it just depends on your project. You may not have such a wide range of demographics you're trying to to incorporate, but I knew with, with this one, I was going to need that uh, to see how it was landing with um, the actual people, the girls who would be reading it, did it feel too babyish or did it feel like too over their heads? And then with their parents, seeing how the concepts landed with them of if they're going to be walking through that book with their daughters, how were they receiving the message? So that was super helpful to get such a wide range of of feedback. And then with the editors that I worked with, or I guess it was one specific one for this project, um, I chose someone that she uh, mainly did uh, copy editing. There was some line editing in there. And then um, it was a faith-based editor, so she could look through the work through that perspective, and I could see if there was some some holes in, in my concepts or anything that needed to be addressed. And then as far as the feedback that I was getting, whether it was on this project, then also on uh, the book that I wrote on teens and dating, and then just, you know, in general throughout the other writing projects I've had, it's always super helpful when someone else that's not been reading and reading and reading your uh, your manuscript, which is what authors get trapped into, is just kind of pointing out where there's some holes, where some additional research is needed. All of my writing is nonfiction. I needed that on some different projects. And even though I had read through it many times and thought I'd been thorough, I really missed some some pretty big spots. So that was helpful. Another thing that is helpful, uh, I don't know how much this would fall into fiction, but with nonfiction, it can be really tempting to place yourself as kind of the hero of the story um, Mm. or as the main person when that maybe is not how you're going to best connect to your reader. I'm really big on reader first, creating a great experience for your readers. And so that's another piece of feedback that I got from an editor is she kind of showed me how I was opening the book with a with a personal story and a personal focus. And then when we tweaked that to let the reader step into that experience themselves and kind of see themselves as the main character in the story, and then I could sprinkle my own personal perspective throughout the book, it suddenly just clicked into place and it yeah. worked so much better. And I would not have been able to see that for myself. You said that the books were for like nine to 14 year old girls and then one on teenagers. Did you have any 
people, young people in the demographic look at your work before it was published? Yes. And I got good feedback from them that they were enjoying it. One of my favorite pieces of feedback was a a mom sent a picture of her girl's book and it was dog-eared throughout the book of her, Mm. her favorite passages. So when you do get feedback and something needs to be pulled out of the book, what do you do with those darlings that you're editing out? Do you kind of pat them on the butt as you wave them out the door and just delete them? Or do you save them forever in a little side document of possibilities? Well, first of all, I'm totally in love with that title. And I think I will go change that document (laughs) to read the little side document of possibilities. I love that. (laughs) Uh, There's obviously some things that it's easy to delete out if it if I know that I've said something more clearly, or I just know that I'm not going to want to revisit a topic. More often than not, I do save quite a bit. Uh, There's been numerous instances where I like I have remembered that I have written something and I trust myself that I haven't deleted it. And I've hunted around and found it. And it's helped me either finish a post or it's been the, the new idea of a post. I even, with a devotional book that I wrote for those preteen girls, it was originally written as a one-year book of devotions. So I had uh, some seasonal material in there, like when you come around Mm. Christmas or Mm -hmm. some different summer or fall activities. When the books kind of developed into the form that they are now, which is three separate books, I changed the organization of it, but I kept all that seasonal material. Well, then the, the holiday, the Christmas stuff that I pulled out eventually became a U version plan. So that I just don't get rid of stuff because you never know. Yeah. There are so many creative things that you can do with it. You can print it out and chop it up and make it into an art collage. You can (laughs) turn your darling into a t-shirt and sell it as merch. I have created a Christmas ornament from the the year that my third book came out. I used, uh, it was either a proof copy or a copy that had an error in it. And I uh, shredded some of the pages and put it in a clear glass ornament. It's one of my favorites. Oh my gosh, I love that. I see those gorgeous like carved book arts and I'm always like, no, not the books, but a proofed copy that had typos. Right. All bets are off. Let me tear that to shreds. (laughs) And then your written work just seems to be so personal because you're writing this nonfiction, which a lot of people, if they're writing nonfiction, they're writing about like animals. Or, you know, (laughs) like all kinds of different topics, but yours are very specifically centered on your faith. Mm -hmm. And I wondered how that plays in when you get to those editing stages. Do you think that it has flavored your experiences at all, either because your editors might not be as willing to kind of poke and prod at your beliefs or because you're working with editors who already hold those same beliefs? This is this is a great question, and I think it's pretty nuanced depending on what your project is and what you're looking for with an editor. So with my books, when I was looking for those editors, I, I did choose people that had the same faith that I did, and I let them know up front Obviously, I want you all to look for typos, for, you know, big holes in the concepts, for formatting, but I want you to let me know if you think something could be said clear, keeping in mind the age group that I'm writing to, and I I want you to to be able to call me out when necessary. And they were able to do that. They they got that goal. So for me, 
that was important because I wanted to see how the message was going to resonate with someone of similar beliefs. And so I, I invited that type of feedback beyond actual copy editing or line editing. But it just kind of comes down to someone's publishing goals. If someone, you know, simply wants a copy edit done on their manuscript, then it doesn't necessarily matter the beliefs of the editor. However, if that really does matter to an author, whether you are seeking out that input or you you really don't want that, um, then it is worth it to advocate for yourself and to find the right fit in an editor. And you want an editor who's going to be able to be a good guide, but you have to let them know kind of upfront as best as you can, especially it's hard as, as first-time authors to maybe know where you want to go with your with your publishing route. But an editor is supposed to be there as a guide. And so Mm -hmm. if you can let them know, here's kind of what I want my path to look like, they can provide that type of help for you. Yeah. I love that word, self-advocacy. Yes. It's so important and it's so hard to find. It takes so much strength. You know, it just may take some time then to find to find the right person. And it is tempting because the the writing process takes a long time. The editing process takes a long time. And it can maybe feel like uh, you're not getting anywhere. You're not moving forward. But this is a relationship that you're going to, if you want to look at it that way, you're going to be in it for a while. You may <laughs> choose to work with them on other projects. And so it is worth that effort, even if it is more difficult to find that fit. Yeah, I think it's really obvious when it's it's a bad fit. And it can be trickier when it's an okay fit. But I do sure. believe that every writer if they have the option should keep looking for that like chef's kiss perfect understanding between themselves and their editor. And that doesn't mean like you said it it doesn't have to be same, same, right? Right, yeah. But it should be respect, respect. That's a good way to look at it. And a situation that I've run up against and some of the authors that I've worked with when, when I'm editing their work, a lot of them do fall in there. A lot of them are faith-based. And so, and they know that I am I'm faith-based as well, but they just may still have some differing beliefs or just, you know, we all have different life experiences. We can't mm-hmm. all experience the same things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've had some where they have talked about actually infertility And I can tell that they have not had any experience with it or there's not anyone in their lives that have. That's something that my husband and I have dealt with. And I was able to bring that perspective and experience and kind of leave a comment, still leaving it up to them how they wanted to address it. But I was able to say, hey, I know you're not intending this, but this is how this might land with some of your readers. And here are some points to consider. And so there's a wide range of experiences of where that could apply. I think going back to that, it doesn't have to be same, same, because then, you know, an author can learn from some of the editor's experiences that they may not have and vice versa. Editors can learn from their authors as well. But if you go back to respect, respect, that just lends to a healthier relationship. And then there's a little bit of emotional labor that comes into the copy editing stage where we do have the onus on us to identify, hey, I don't think that this is going to land right. but as copy editors, we don't have all of those same experiences. So there might be times where we have to say, hey, I think more research needs to be put into this. I think maybe a sensitivity reader would be the way to go here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think it all comes down to how are you wording those suggestions to the author by still letting mm-hmm. them know, like, I'm not trying to take control from you. What I always go back to is, 
writing a book is really hard. It is one of the hardest (laughs) things I think you can do. And so if you are going to go to that effort to share a story, whether it's fiction or whether you are sharing some kind of perspective or life experience with with nonfiction, if you're going to go to that effort and you want readers to enjoy it, why not go to that effort? Like, why not do all that you can to provide a great reading experience for your readers? Mm, That's so good. Yeah. So I looked through your website, which is darling. Thank you. And I just came up with these questions that that just really, I'm curious. So a new client sends you a manuscript because you're a copy editor. Yes. A new client sends you a manuscript and asks what sort of editing you think they need because maybe they could use a proofread or maybe they could use a dev edit. Mm-hmm. What are you looking for to make that determination? I'm kind of mainly looking at how they talk about their project. And and that was going to depend on their experience. So if I have a really new author, it's mostly going to be about, well, I had this experience or I just felt like it was time to write my life story that is, I kind of tend to attract that type of that manuscript of, <laughs> again, nonfiction, life story, memoir, that type of thing. So that's just a lot of the queries that I get. So I look at how they are talking about that. And if it kind of feels like, and this is a great place to start, right? We all need a place to start, but it's like, I kind of just wrote this. <laughs> and <laughs> maybe they haven't thought they haven't thought yet about their publishing goals. What's that going to look like? Is this something that they just want to be able to share with their family, which is great? Or if this is something that they're going to maybe self-publish and really start to market and make this their thing, that's going to influence how how they talk about it. And so I'm going to pay attention to their experience. I mean, if they have written before, if they really have a clear direction and focus for their manuscript, you know, maybe they're not going to need that developmental edit because the idea is very nicely formed. And so maybe they are going to need some line editing and a solid copy editing. But if it is someone that maybe they're not super clear, even on the focus of their manuscript, maybe they're not done with it yet that's going to be a clue that maybe a developmental edit would be helpful for them. I've learned to kind of ask some of those questions up front on my questionnaire, and that that helps me be prepared when then we go to the discovery call of what they might be looking for. And I do take time to explain actually the types of editing before I even, like I, w- I want to hear about their project first, and then I explain the types of editing. And usually through that, they kind of get an idea of like, oh, I think that's what I need. So sometimes they come to that realization on their own once they better understand the levels of editing that's available to them. When you say discovery call, do you mean you're literally on the phone? Yes. So I love doing it's either Zoom calls or just regular phone calls because I think that helps me connect to them personally. And I especially like being able to do Zoom calls and see people's faces as they're talking about their project. That's helpful for me to kind of see where they're at in this process. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is weird because I host a podcast, but oh, oh, I hate phone calls. Oh, oh they make me so uncomfortable. Oh, I can definitely identify with that, but I think when I'm doing these calls, it's it's pretty focused on, on what what we're going to be talking about, so I don't have to, you know, kind of hunt around for the things to say because uh, I I've kind of gotten into my routine with them, and so mm-hmm. that helps take away some of that anxiety. But mm-hmm. I, I I definitely feel yeah, if I can make an appointment online and not call, then I will totally do that. Oh yeah. You know, with podcasting, there is sound editing, and I can take out all of the times where I repeat myself or stammer, Mm. 
And there's none of that on a real life phone call. I'm just, ooh, how do I represent myself? Ooh, yes. ooh that's hard. Even yesterday, I, I jumped on a call with an author because she had emailed me a question. And then as I started researching it, I realized it was just going to be more complicated and mm-hmm. it would not mm-hmm. translate well over email. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I've learned is that I, I want them to understand where I'm coming from. I want to get a sense of, of who they are. And so then it just comes across better in a phone call. What do you love to edit? Like when you open a manuscript for the first time, what just makes your heart go pitter-patter? Yes, I love it. And it's not just, you know, one specific genre necessarily, but when the author has been, has done their legwork and they are super clear on what they want to share with their readers and they are super clear on the journey they want their readers to take because that is another thing that can really focus your writing. Whether it is fiction or nonfiction, there's there's always a journey in a well-written story and uh, your readers are hungry for that. So when I open up something, even if it's we're still working through some of those initial drafts, but I can already tell that this is going to change your reader's life, that's what gets me excited. When I can see that this is going to, whether encourage them or change their perspective or let them know they're not alone, Man, I get excited for that. Mm. That's tasty. (laughs) I love, I just like opening it and finding like really cool concepts. I'm mostly speculative fiction. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I got a sample this week that I was not expecting it to be so cool because the author was like, honestly, I'm really inexperienced and I've never worked with an editor before, but, you know, please help. And I opened it and it was just the coolest concepts and way unexpected. And it was really clean too. I was really like shocked how clean it was. And I was like, I don't even know how, how has this not been edited? I don't understand. (laughs) That that is the best feeling. That's a superpower. (laughs) Right. But you know, as we're saying this, something else that comes to mind about what gets what gets me excited because again, going through the editing process is such a journey. If this is your your first time writing and you may be thinking like, well, how do I know if, you know, my concept is solid or I don't I don't know how that's going to feel. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that does get me excited is to be able to see the author themselves go on the journey if maybe they were resistant to editing before or unsure and to see them gain confidence mm-hmm. and to see them them gain communication skills between them and myself. That's also really exciting because there's things that you learn in, about the writing process that help us in all areas of life. So even just seeing that personal journey that the author takes is exciting. Oh, so you get to hang out with a manuscript through multiple rounds of editing. Sometimes, depending on what the author chooses. Sometimes it's just copy editing for one of the main jobs that I have right now. It is copy editing for a publishing house. And I just do the copy editing. So the manuscript has been through some initial reviews when it arrives to me. And then I don't do any of the the proofing or any of the layout after it leaves my computer. Do you get to uh, do a cleanup round? Yes, I do. Okay. I am able to revi- um, you know, revisit it with them a few different times. But then there's others that... Uh, either through personal connections or they've found me on my website and they may decide that they want to do, you know, a line edit and a copy edit. I've worked with some people even on developmental edits and kind of seen their project from the very beginning. And that is exciting. I almost never get to see a manuscript again. The vast majority of my clients 
are either proofreading and so it never comes back to me or copy editing and they're independent authors and decide they want to do their own cleanup. And so I just have to wave it away, say, bye-bye manuscript. I wish you the best. (laughs) That would be hard because there's there's often so many things of like, oh, I want to be able to explain this or I want to see what their response is. And that would be tough. Yeah. Well, it's a balancing act because... Yeah, I want to see how it's going. But also, there's so much anxiety of getting it back and wondering, did the author like my changes? Are they going to just step everything? Are they going to yell at me in the comments? Which has only happened once, and that was such (laughs) a bad project. <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard. Some of the strangest comments that I've I've gotten back, there was a particularly long section that just had a lot of run-on sentences and it needed to be broken up. But the author was pointing out how basically how powerful it was when it was spoken. Mm. And I said, "Well, I think you still need to change it because how we read things is different than how we listen to things. And yes, you might be able to get away with some of these run-on sentences if you were just talking to someone or giving a speech. But when you're reading it, I was like, you're going to lose your readers. Then I've also had authors just undo punctuation changes that were definitely correct when I left them. And then they changed it back to the wrong way. So that's fun. (laughs) Is it wrong or is it author's style because well, that's allowed that that's that allowed. is Th- this one though was like no this is definitely not right but i am learning to better educate my authors on like hey you do have a lot that's your call and so kind of educating them either beforehand or as we go so i do i'm learning better ways to do that but on this case it was a no we need to stick with stick with cmos <laughs> as we <laughs> quoted it before Tell me more about those author muscles that you don't think they flex enough. So there's a couple of categories. So sometimes it is that they just maybe aren't aware. Uh, so with things that come down to just simple style stuff, like about capitalization or the author that I was talking to yesterday, we were talking about how she wanted to do her citations, her notes section at the end of the book. And so she was showing me an example of something that she wanted to do. And she's like, but I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. I'm like, well, it's there in a published book already. Like you are totally able to do that. We'll just make sure it's consistent all the way throughout. So I think it just comes down to like, don't be afraid to ask those questions, you know, when it comes down to the simple style stuff, when it Mm -hmm. comes down to maybe some concepts or like phrasing of how they want to say different things in their book. I think it comes down to how is it going to land with your reader? And so if there is a turn of phrase or just something that you feel like shows your author's voice and you just want to hang on to it. Okay, I can understand that. But if it's going to be anything that makes your readers kind of stop and go, huh, what? I'm going to have to look that up or <laughs> that doesn't make sense or that's weird. If what you're you know, saying, even if you feel like, oh man, this will be really cool if I could just say it like this. But if it's going to provide an obstacle for your reader, you just might want to reconsider that. There is so much content out there. You're fighting for your reader's attention and they could put down your book at any second. So give Mm -hmm. them as few reasons as possible. Do you think that authors are intimidated by you? I hope not intimidated by me. I think that maybe by the the process itself. Mm -hmm. And I think because they either don't know what to expect or they're just maybe afraid that their words are going to get chopped up and be returned unrecognizable to them because, you know, you pour your heart and soul into a writing project. I totally get that. And I, I, 
try and think through my own, you know, experiences as an author being edited. And so I think that's what can feel intimidating. But I hope authors, as they learn about the process and as they learn kind of what to expect, that they do know it's going to be a lot of work, but it is a doable process and that their words are going to just shine so much brighter after they get done through the editing process. Or that is, that's the goal, right? As they move through all of those phases. So I sure hope they're not intimidated by me, but I hope that by educating and empowering authors about what the editing process looks like, that they feel like they're more able to step into that. Yeah. I feel like I am the least intimidating person ever. I couldn't intimidate my own cat and (laughs) no one can. And I just can't believe that more authors don't bring those questions because they're afraid of how they're going to be received. Right. Or they just will, you know, like I've had some just change stuff back without even asking me like why something was, was changed or, you know, like you said that they are maybe too afraid. And so I think that's something that you have to grow in as an author. If this is what you want to do. And if this is the industry that you want to hang out with, we all have to kind of gain some confidence, uh, work those question asking muscles. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of questions. Yes. Let's move to the questions that I ask every author I talk to. So first, what do you hate about the editing process? (laughs) Definitely anything that's fixing annoying formatting. I don't enjoy that. And so I try and utilize my tools in Microsoft Word as much as possible to make that less of a headache. And then from the writer's side of it, with your writer's hat on, what bugs you about being edited? Kind of the point where I am in my journey, you know, I've been doing this for the last 10 years in some form or fashion. I get annoyed when I don't get detailed feedback. Mm. I want the direction. I want the challenge. I want to hear how it's landing with someone else. And because this is the author's prerogative, I may not make certain adjustments, but it's going to give me something to think about and maybe it'll apply more to the next writing project. So I I want to hear the comments. And so when it's a little bit light on that, that's what annoys me. What's the most common bit of feedback you receive on your writing? I can tend to try to go too many directions with my writing and keeping it super focused uh, because I can, I don't want it to feel like I'm not exploring certain nuances with a topic. And so that's why I start introducing a lot of different concepts. But in reality, it just needs to be simplified. That's a common piece of feedback that I get on my writing. And then sometimes I'm maybe too nervous about how something is going to land and that comes across in my writing. There's like a lack of confidence or just a lack of kind Mm -hmm. of standing behind my own work. I've gotten that as well. And so those are two areas that I'm working on in my own writing. Hmm. Do you have any last words of advice? So one thing that I, I like to tell my authors is to stay focused on building really good writing habits whether you are working on a book, maybe you just finished it, maybe you think you might want to write a book. It's not maybe always about writing a book because there's going to be an ebb and flow throughout your writer's career. You're not always going to be focused on that, but you're going to probably need to always be writing something. And so start building a good habit. If you've never written before, or if you're just starting out, like don't set the goal to like write a whole book within two weeks. Uh, just make a habit of writing for 10 minutes every day and do that for a while. And then you'll be surprised at how 
you can then begin to build on that habit. But we sometimes set like super lofty goals. And then when that doesn't happen, we get discouraged and then don't try again. So set smaller goals. What are your goals? Do you go for like a thousand words a week? So it's kind of weird to quantify that right now since I am <laughs> editing editing more, but I, I tend to just set deadlines of when I know I want to have a first draft done and when I want to have the final thing done. And then I, I kind of back into it from there. So that's typically how I do it is just kind of have my first draft cut off to stop tinkering with it. I need to have the first draft done and then when, whenever I need to submit it. So sometimes that goes quickly if I am just writing articles, but for longer projects, then I can have more time to spread that out. So I, I break it up into milestones like that. Okay. Well, the last portion of our program is a hot and wholesome gossip corner. Are there any other writers or creators doing something you're excited about? Any shout outs you want to give or people you want to lift up? So one of the authors I'm excited about is actually a a family friend of ours. She's working on the final installment of her teen fantasy series. And so that is Chrissy Dallas. Her fifth book came out last November and she's working on the sixth. So I just have enjoyed that series. I think I enjoy it because I, you know, I mainly write nonfiction, but I love reading fiction and this is different from what I normally pick up, but her characters and her setting just grab you from the very beginning. And so it's called the Phantom Island series. Cool. Teenage fantasy is my jam. It's super fun. And actually, my my husband gifted me the first two books when we were still dating. And well, it was funny because it was right around finals for college, my my last uh, semester. And I definitely spent more time reading those books that week than I did studying, (laughs) but it all worked out. Well, if you want to check out Samantha's work or think she might be a great fit for your next editing project, you can follow her on Twitter as at MRS underscore Hanny or head over to her website, MrsHanny.com. Thank you again for talking with me, Samantha. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me, Ariel. It's been such a fun conversation. If you loved this episode of Edit Your Darlings, why not share it with a friend? Remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast fix. For show notes, go to edityourdarlings.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at @editpodcast or I'm at @arielcopyedits. Until next week, cheers. Mm-hmm.